Sup, bitches. This is Morgan. <laughs> well, and uh, this well <laughs> is bitches, bitches and, and murders. murders. I don't know why I've started introducing it like it's Jeopardy. Like this is Jeopardy. I'm over here like Vanna White, just gesturing <laughs> at nothing. We're fine. We're fine. This is fine. Everything is fine. So, if you're wondering why I just made that whole ass introduction in French, it's because this case is very, very, very French. So French, in fact, that I had to get things translated a lot. Because, you know, it was just, I had to know. <laughs> I had to know. So I got them translated. Um... But before we get into that, we have, on my notes apparently, Gina Pedro. So in the Rippers category, we have Christy Marshall. Whoa, Christy! I I just said that like it was a fucking MMA fight. And in this corner, corner. weighing in at 125 pounds, we have, I don't don't know how much she weighs. Please don't take offense to that. (laughs) It was just the first number I thought of. And in the other corner, we have, representing the Black Dahlias, we have Casey Manny. Woo! We're fine. So if you guys could pick intro songs, what would your intro songs be? Right. Actually, I'm going to post that on Twitter. I really want to know. I don't know what mine would be. I have to think about it. I used to, uh, when I did the uh, joust competition, I always wrote in to uh, Salute by Little Mix. It's a bop. I feel like I could see myself doing some dumb shit like fucking Wild Boy by MGK or some shit. I wanted to do something a lot more fun, but they told me because yeah, kids go to the event, yeah, I bitch. had to keep it, like, UG, and I was like, fine, we'll choose, like, a girl bop. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not mad at that. So, uh, if we're coming unglued during this episode, it's because we've already recorded it. And the whole thing got corrupted and deleted. So here we are three weeks later trying to re-record it. Yeah. And if it gets fucked again, y'all are never going to hear about Mark Dutra. Yeah, last <laughs> last week when we said there was that case that we lost, yeah, that's this. This is it. Also, sorry for that, you know, week break on the Patreons, because when we did last week's episode, I forgot that we had introduced the two new patrons for yeah during this episode so i would have put those in last week but we just forgot but we're doing it now so yay also psa before we get into this because this made me kind of a little annoyed um are we thinking about the same thing is it about the comment thing yeah okay so we haven't really gotten a lot i think there's literally only been like two ever yeah um but we got, like, a hate comment about saying the word like, which, first of all, if you don't like to listen to us, don't fucking listen to us. Yeah. We don't really care. No one's holding your gun to your head. Like, shoot, shoot on out of here. And, I mean, not that we don't love every single person who supports us so, so much, but ultimately we do this because we enjoy it and we want to do it, and we do it to have fun and to share our knowledge and share the fun things that we enjoy learning about. You know what I mean? So, like, ultimately, yeah, we don't really give a fuck if you don't like us. Anyways, uh, that aside, first of all, 
If you don't like something, don't spew hate about it online. Right. That just makes you look really sad and pathetic, to be honest. Um, but on top of that, you probably shouldn't talk about things that you don't know anything about. First of all, just a little insight here. Not only do I have pretty severe ADHD, which can make it really hard for my... It can be really hard to express myself because my brain is moving at a much much different pace than my mouth is capable of moving. Same. So that takes some, it causes some breaks in things that are difficult. Also, I've had uh, over a dozen concussions, including two brain bleeds, and a major cause of those injuries has been aphasia, so it can be really difficult for me to, like, express myself. Like, there's a lot of breaks. It's hard for me to find words. Sometimes I'll substitute words that don't make sense. Uh, just because my brain was like, sure, yeah, that's good enough. This and I'm works. like, what? <laughs> like one time I tried to say, <laughs> one time I tried to tell someone about subscribers. I think I was talking about our YouTube channel and I was like, yeah, we have like this many survivors. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, oh, that's not the <laughs> word. <laughs> I mean, I did it at work the other day when I was trying to say that they're paid, they're pet needed to get hospitalized, and I said hospitalized? Hospitalized. Like, what the hell? Me and my inability to say the word edited. <laughs> I think that's the only time I've ever said it right in my life. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she does the things. I also do the things. Since I, I mean, I don't have ADHD that's diagnosed, but like my brain definitely moves a lot faster than my mouth, which is very evident whenever I've ever said anything sassy ever. <laughs> Well, and it's also something, we've both been on birth control for a long time, and that's also a known yeah. side effect of birth control as well, so, uh, you know, I can't who tell you how knows. many times I've said a thing, and then my brain and my mouth caught up to each other and went, oh, that was a mean thing to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, being too honest, and you're like, oh, oh, shit, <laughs> whoops. Uh, I also have had multiple concussions, uh, head trauma is a real thing, uh, but also, I am learning multiple languages. Like, I know English, I'm learning Gaelic, I'm learning Serbian, I know American Sign Language, I know French. My brain doesn't have the capacity for all of these things. So if I pause, or if I say like, or if I'm trying to catch up with myself, it's probably because my brain forgot the English word for something, and it's trying to fill it in with one of the other languages, but nobody speaks those fucking languages. With the exception of my very Serbian family and fucking people in Ireland that probably still speak Gaelic. Like so the like, five people in Ireland that right. still speak Gaelic. So when my brain tries to fill in one of those words, I'm not going to say it out loud because then you guys are going to be like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. Basically, the long and short of it is don't be a dick. Yeah. And if you don't like something, then cool. Of all things, you get nitpicky on, too. Like, Well, and it's one thing <laughs> if, if, if you... You know, say it's, like, a product or something, and it could be harmful. Like, yeah, absolutely. Or if they're doing something that could be harmful, absolutely say something about it. Mm -hmm. But if it's just, like, bro, you don't like word choice, then, yeah. like, just go away and listen to someone else who doesn't do that, that scripts all their shit. Also, they commented, it, like, on a post that we had put on Instagram, like, honoring oh, the honoring of a vic certain thing. Yeah, and I said, um, you know, may the victims rest in peace. Like, here are the victims of this crime. And they were just, like... Um, so you use, like, every other word. I'm like, at least come at one on one that's not honoring right. victims. Like, honoring also, people who passed away. using filler words doesn't negate the level of respect for the victims. 
Also, there was no filler words in that post. You know what I mean? And it's like they were clearly talking about the podcast, but it's just like, but what? Why? Go fuck yourself and who can fight with you for a fortune? And that's all I have to say on that. Normally, I don't really care about things like that. And we really, like, rarely ever get mean comments. Like I said, I think we've literally only gotten, like, two, and yeah. both of them were for that. So I just wanted to say my piece about it. Anyways, moving on. Stepping back off my soapbox and setting back down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, are you ready for Mark Dutro again? <laughs> again. Part two. See, the nice thing about this is that uh, because she's had so much head trauma, she doesn't remember a fucking thing about this case. I so. genuinely do not. <laughs> Gonna take you on this roller coaster again. But it kind of makes <laughs> another side note because I'm already chaotic. It's fine. Uh, we just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh no! And this is not spoiling anything. There's just one part where he plays this character, and the the guy's name is like something Dutro or something like that. Oh, no. Dakota or something. And he was like, oh, I thought it was pronounced Dakota. (laughs) And so now I just, I thought it was pronounced Detroit. (laughs) Detroit. Detroit. (laughs) Anyways, continue. continue. (laughs) So, Mark was born. I hate that. Why did I just call him Mark? Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Nope. Dutro. Dutro was born on November 6th of 1956 in Excel, Belgium. Uh, he was the eldest of five, and both of his parents were teachers. How sweet. How sweet. So, uh... For five seconds. I mean, it really... Honestly, his childhood wasn't as dramatic as he tried to make it sound. Because, like, in interviews with him, he'll be all, like, Oh, our parents were abusive to me and my siblings. And then his siblings are like, dude, no, no. Our, our parents were the sweetest. So uh, in 1971, his parents got divorced. Uh, he chose to go live with his mom for a little bit, but then ran away from home and uh, became a male prostitute when he was 16. Good, good, good life choices. I didn't make this clarification last time, but I'll make this clarification this time. Uh, when I say male prostitute, I don't mean a prostitute that is a male. I mean a prostitute that services males. Oh, yeah. You did make that distinction. No, I did not. Oh. Yeah. I mean, not that it matters. No, not really. But it definitely but, is, know. like, a client, a different, like, clientele? I mean, it's literally. <laughs> They're a different gender, but. But also, he was 16 when this happened. So, you know, I just hate everything about it. Yeah. It's all bad. No matter who you're sleeping with. Yeah. <laughs> if you were under the age of 18... Please stop sleeping with people who are over the age of 18. Yeah. Or just stop sleeping with people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're teenagers. You're going to do what you want to do, and you're not going to listen to fucking anybody. Trust me, we've all been there. But I like, didn't think that when I was a teenager, but now that I'm an stop. adult, I'm like, stop. stop. <laughs> uh, so at 19, he married his first wife, Francois. Francois. Uh, they had two children, and he openly admitted to being a complete trash bag and beating her and cheating on her. We, uh, we love a self-aware guy, I mean, at guy, least, I yeah, guess. right? Uh, at least you I guess. Right? Uh, so they got divorced in 1983. Not surprised. Right. Uh, <laughs> she took the kids. And in 1989, he married Michelle Martin who uh, was one of the women he was cheating on his wife with, which, first of all... Those relationships always work out. Let's just get on this soapbox for a second. If you are the other woman, don't 
try to have a lasting relationship with him when he leaves his relationship. Because if you think he's not going to pull the same shit on you, you're out of your goddamn mind. And even if they somehow don't, you're going to think that for the rest of your life. Right. You're going to be concerned about it. And, like, let's be real. They're probably going to. Like, you know. You know he's a cheating trash bag because he was cheating on you or cheating with you on his wife. Yeah, I feel like those people always try to, like, delude themselves that, like, that, you know, it's right. the fairy tale. Like, they oh. were so in love with me. They had to leave their big, mean wife. And it's yeah. like, yeah, no, that's almost never, ever, ever true. Uh, so they got married while both of them were in prison. And don't you worry. We'll circle back to that. My favorite. They had three kids together, by the way. Bro. Three. I just like to point that out because, like, you'll understand. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Um. You understand, like, why I'm like, they have three kids together. Don't know why. Don't know where the fuck they were during all of this, but they have three kids. Oh, yeah, because I remember that. Because you, I feel like I remember you telling me that in the beginning, and then at the end, I was like, wait. I fucking forgot there was kids involved. (laughs) So, the crimes before the crimes. Those are my favorite crimes. So, these are just, like, nice little bullet-pointed dates, because if I tried to just make this whole elaborate story, we'd be here forever. We're still going to be here forever, but, you know. Right, like, but not six hours forever, so. So, our crimes before the crimes start on June 7th of 1985. Dutro and an accomplice abducted two young girls. Uh, They were never identified, and they were never recovered by the police. So that's fun, you know. Hate that. Oh, don't worry, it just keeps getting worse. Wait, so how did they know that they abducted them if they were never... Uh, he admitted to it at some point. Did he just, like, say, like, oh, mm-hmm. by the way, back in the day, mm-hmm. no idea where I put them, bitches, no idea where they came from, but, uh... Oh, he knows where they are, but he never told anybody. Gross. Yeah. Hate it. Mm-hmm. And he never identified his accomplice either, so, like, that's fun. I feel, I wonder if it's true... Yeah, I wonder if he was just... Because, I mean, like, he lied about his parents abusing him and stuff like that. Well, because he had enough siblings. Like, if there was just two siblings and, like, he said yes and the other one said no, then I'd be more inclined to be like, yeah, maybe it happened. But when you have four other siblings and they're all like, no. (laughs) Yeah, it makes me wonder if he, like, lied about that to get it, like... Clearly he likes attention. Maybe. Especially because it's like, oh, there's a mysterious man that no one ever found with mysterious girls that were never reported missing. We have no... You know what I mean? I mean... I could see both, Yeah, honestly. I could see both ways, because, like, yeah... <laughs> uh, he does, like, have a history of abducting little girls. Like, that's what this whole entire episode's gonna be about. Right, so it could be So, like, quite maybe possible. he's telling the truth, but also, like, maybe you're just trying to make yourself look... I don't want to say cooler, but that's the only word that well, came like, to my head. Like, more... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I almost said more badass, which is not a better yeah. word, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so then October 17th of 1985, uh, he abducted and raped 19-year-old Maria V. And then December 14th of 1985, he abducted and raped uh, Excel. Uh, and in her statement to police, she said she was abducted by, quote, an Italian one and a crazy stupid one. Did anyone tell Microsoft? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. I'm so sorry. You're the worst. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. It's fine. Uh, she also identified Michelle Martin, which you'll remember is his wife. Right. As, well, she's not his wife yet, but part of this whole shit show. Uh, as part of the group that abducted her. Huh. So then, 
December 18th of 1985, four days later, uh, he abducted and raped Elizabeth, who was 15. Uh, Dutro's accomplice told police that he had taken videos and photos of Elizabeth naked, which will become a theme later. Don't like it. No, I'm not going to lie to you. This episode sucked. <laughs> I think it's kind of like, it always shocks me when people, uh, it sh- I think it shocks me more when people abduct and just, like, rape girls and then let them go. Or, like, they get out of it or that they'll, like, break into their house ballsy. or something. Like, that's almost more ballsy than killing them. Yeah. Because there's people out there that can identify you and you still committed, like, a capital crime that you could get in, you know, go to prison forever for. Mm-hmm. Like, that's always so wild to me. Like, that seems like a... Not not that anyone should murder anyone, but that right. seems like a bad choice. I mean, I get it, though, because look at how many rape cases go unreported. That's... I feel like, though, the ones where people get, like, kidnapped and stuff like that, like, they usually tend to put a little yeah. more yeah. effort into those ones. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, you're not wrong, though. Okay, where are we at? We're in February of 1987 now. Ugh. <sighs> Uh, Dutro, Martin, and, oh no, we're not in 87, I'm sorry, I lied, we're in 86. So January 17th of 1986, uh, he abducted and raped 18-year-old Catherine. She told police that he had accomplices, but she was never able to identify them. Now we're in February of 1987. Uh, Dutro, Martin, and another man named Pettigam? Pettigam? Pettigam. Oh, I, I remember that name. I don't remember anything he did, but I just remember trying to say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were all arrested, and they were arrested uh, largely due to Pettaham being the dumbest fuck. Because he would just chit-chat with the girls that they abducted and give them a ton of personal information. Like, he would talk about his time in the army and, like, complain about, like, how he was married, but his wife wanted to leave him, so they were getting a divorce, and, like, she kicked him out of the house, and so naturally, when the girls, you know, escaped, they were like, hey, uh, I got kidnapped by this dumb fuck who gave me so much personal information about himself, (laughs) and then, uh, you know, you find Pettaham, and then you find Dutro and Martin, and then they all went to prison. (laughs) God, some people are so fucking dumb. Right? God, it really drives me crazy sometimes. I just, like, I can't imagine being kidnapped and my kidnapper being like, yeah, you know, I was in the military and it really fucked me up and, you know, I have a wife, but she wants to leave me and she kicked me out of the house. And here's the license plate to my car and this is my address and here's Here's my my social social. security card. (laughs) Do you want my credit card number? Right. Like, I just, I can't believe that. So, uh. The three of them were convicted on April 26th of 1989. Uh, Dutro was sentenced to 13 and a half years, Pettahem to six and a half years, and Martin to five years. Uh, so this is that where... feels like not enough. Yeah, it's not. Uh, this is where Dutro and Martin get married in prison in 1989. Gag. Blech. Blech. Oh, that was a gross noise. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, never marry your mistress, but sure as shit don't marry your mistress in prison. On, I feel guys. like that's something I shouldn't have to say. Yeah, but here we are. <laughs> Maybe just don't marry people in prison. Regardless. Maybe just don't have mistresses. <laughs> well, that too. Don't don't do that either. <laughs> but I can't think of a single prison marriage that has worked out in anyone's benefit. Right. Uh. So 
all of them were released in 1991. Uh, so most of them only served like three years. That's a weird coincidence. Their sentences, which is fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> fucking annoying. Annoying. <laughs> Uh, but the one that's really, really annoying is when they released Dutro, uh, because he only served three years of a 13. Yeah, it was the sentence. longest sentence, too. Like, Martin only serving three of five, Pettahem only serving three of six, like, at least that's half of your sentence. Right. Not fucking Dutro. Well, and I thought you had to serve, well, I mean, I'm sure the rules, that was back in the this, day. Well, this is Belgium, too. Oh, yeah, because I know here, now, you have to serve at least... It's like a good amount. Yeah, it's like seventy five percent of your sentence or something like that before you can get out for good behavior. So, uh, he was released despite the public prosecutor advising against it and a psychiatrist declaring him a psychopath, and both of them stated that he remained a danger to society. And look how that worked out. Yep. <laughs> he still got the fact that we're here talking about it automatically means that this did not it's, work out in anyone's he was favor. Not he was still very much a danger to society. I forgot what I named some of the headers to my notes. Oh dear. Uh, so now we have some other bullshit. And uh, so while in jail, Dutro convinced a psychiatrist that he was disabled due to his mental illness. So he was collecting twelve hundred a month of public assistance from the Belgian government. Uh. Which was bullshit, because he owned seven houses and was still getting assistance from the government. So, uh, if anybody wants to give me seven houses and also assistance from the government, right. I'd be fine with that. Uh, most of the houses were vacant, vacant, and he used three of them for the rape and torture of the girls. Uh, in one of the houses, he built a concealed dungeon in the basement, which is fucking wild. Uh, he also convinced the psychiatrist that he needed sedatives for sleeping issues due to his mental illness, and those would later be used to drug his victims. So we're doing great. You know, he just convinced the government to give him everything he needed to be a straight trash bag. This is fine. Everything is fine. fine. This is fine. So are you ready for the real crime? Yeah. Oh, wait, I nodded. You can see me, but I emphatically yeah. nodded. <laughs> okay, so our first one is June 24th of 1995. Uh, Julie Leon and Melissa Russo were abducted. Both of them were eight. Eight. Singular number. I uh, really fucking hate that. Yeah. Dutro kept the two girls in his dungeon where he repeatedly raped them while videotaping it and would also photograph them. I feel like I just had a that so raven vision where I just remembered some of the things that happen and I hate all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a list of things you shouldn't do somewhere and keeping people in dungeons is, is definitely on there, I feel like. Pretty close to the top. So, on August 23rd, Dutro, with the help of uh, Michael Livier, abducted Anne and Effie. Anne was 17, Anne was or Effie was 19. Uh, because he already had Julie and Melissa in the dungeon, he chained Anne and Effie to a bed in one of the guest rooms. Both were sexually assaulted, and a few weeks after they had been abducted, Dutro and another accomplice, uh, Bernard Weinstein, buried Anne and Effie alive. 
I don't like all of the accomplices. I I don't feel like I remember that so much. Like, I remember that there was other people involved, but I forgot how many other people have been involved. Mm-hmm. Even, like, before this. Like, there was a lot of people involved in these things, and I think I hate that the most. I'm really trying not to think about being buried alive, because that's, like, a big fear of yeah. mine, and I don't like it, and I don't want to think about it. I'll, uh, I'll make that all make sense later. So, around the same time as Anne and Effie, uh, Weinstein stole a vehicle and ended up wanted by police. So, classy. Dutro, you know, not wanting to get caught for being a straight trash bag, uh, kidnapped Weinstein and held him in the dungeon. During this time, he allowed Julie and Melissa to just roam the house, which are the two eight-year-olds. Uh, no. <laughs> apparently, Weinstein had, like, hid a ton of money, so Dutro interrogated him in the dungeon to get him to tell him the location, and then once he got what he wanted, he buried Weinstein alive. Yeah, he's got a really, like, he's really into this. But honestly, you know, it's pretty effective, so, like... Yeah, I get get it. I I don't condone it, but I get it. (laughs) I'm not sure I get it. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) I I hate it. Uh, So then, in December of the same year, Dutro was arrested for his involvement in the theft of luxury vehicles. And he was in prison uh, until March of December, 1990. Or March of December. March of December. March of December. Shut up. He was in jail from December of 95 until March of 96. That's what I was trying to say. What I don't understand is that, like... Not trying to give y'all advice here, but I'm just saying, if you're doing some real bad shit, mm-hmm. no matter if it's, you know, killing people aside, like, if you're doing some bad shit, like you maybe don't do little bad shit as well, because it always seems to be the little bad shit that gets you cut, like, stealing cars, stealing mm-hmm. stuff from, you know, gas station. It's always the little things that get you caught. So if you're doing the big things, Mm -hmm. you might think, hey, I'm doing the big things. I should do the little things. I'm already doing a big... No. (laughs) That's what's gonna get you caught. Don't do the little shit. Well, don't do the big shit either. Don't don't do it. But don't do any of it. But you're gonna get caught. Thank you. So during his time in prison, he asked Martin, his wife, to care for Julian Melissa. Uh, According to Martin, she was too scared to go to the dungeon, so the two girls starved to death. Can you imagine <laughs> if you're, I don't know, wait, because was she did there? Like, did she know about these girls prior to, like, this mm-hmm. incident? Okay. Well, that's, like, slightly different. She knew about all of it. She helped with some of it. But, like, can you imagine just someone being some like, hey, um, so, like, I'm going to prison, but, like, I totally kidnapped these two eight-year-olds, and I need you to, like, feed them while I'm in prison. Like, can you imagine that conversation? Uh, I would divorce somebody. Yeah, I, you know, weirdly enough, I feel like that is grounds for divorce. Yeah. I feel like the courts would probably take that kind of seriously. Yeah. That was really scary. It was kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, also, like, it's a basement? 
and in a basement. It's still a basement. It's a room in a basement, whether or not it locks. With two eight-year-olds. Do you know how many eight-year-olds I could fend off if I needed to? Probably more than two. Right. And I fucking, I'm broken and tiny. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's fucking eight-year-olds, my dude. What did, why why yeah. are you so scared of them? Also, there's no one else there because he already fucking killed his accomplices. And right. you know the only thing there is the fucking two eight-year-olds. There's not even anyone, anyone in the house. So, uh, home dude got out of prison, was real mad that, uh, he lost his eight-year-olds. So then in May of, May 28th of 96, he abducted Sabine Dardanine, who was 12, and put her in the dungeon. Uh, she was one of the ones that made it out alive, and she told authorities that she was starved and repeatedly raped by Dietrich. So, like... Someone runs him over with their car like 30 times, right? Oh, you're about to get so mad. I'm already mad. <laughs> it just gets worse. So, Go. August 9th, he abducted uh, Laida Delhez, who was 14, and she was also held into a dungeon with Sabine. Uh, luckily for her and Sabine, when he abducted her, a witness saw him and was able to describe his vehicle and part of his license plate to police. Okay, but did they catch him right away? Because if they didn't, I'm still gonna be mad about it. You raised your eyebrows and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, they were abducted. She was abducted August 9th and he was arrested August 13th. Okay, so a couple, I mean, that couple of days is everything to them, but yeah, a couple of days is workable. So, August 13th, Dutro and Martin were arrested and police searched the house but didn't find anything. I like in my notes I put insert giant question mark over here. Oh no, I remember this part. On the 15th, Dutro and Martin told police about the dungeon, which led authorities to Sabine and Lolita, who were still alive. Uh, Thank God. Dutro also gave them the addresses of the two other houses where they were able to dig up the other bodies. Uh, they also found hundreds of homemade sex tapes of Dutro and Martin and Dutro and the girls. Does that make sense? So like, yeah. Him, like and his wife, like him and his separate, wife, separate. And then him and the, the girls, separate. Yeah. She didn't participate, like, with the... No. Oh, God. Can you imagine, like, being one of the people who, like, goes to retrieve these bodies? Because, like, it's already bad. You know what I mean? Like, you know he's a serial killer. You know you're digging up bodies. Like, mm-hmm. it's already, you know, upsetting and scary, whatever. And then you dig them up and you, you find out... Because he must have... To bury them alive, he had to have put them probably, like, in something. I would, I mean, I guess, I feel like most people don't bury people alive and just be like, here, I'm just gonna shovel dirt on your face. Because I guess you might not know that they had been buried alive. I don't know. I just feel like that would just be a whole, like, extra bad. Yeah. It's like, not only are you finding their bodies, but you're finding out that they were, like, buried alive and stuff. Don't, I don't, I don't It's all bad. All bad. So, uh, this is where we get to the really wild part of my notes, and I, again, forgot uh, what I titled everything. This whole section is just called Y'all Done Fucked This Shit Up. Oh, that's never what I like to hear. And there's subsections that have their own uh, titles, and the first one is Mother Knows Best. So in 1995, Dutro's mother wrote a letter to authorities stating that she knew that Dutro had kidnapped two girls and was keeping them in his house. 
This was never looked into. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm never going to have kids uh, for a lot of reasons, but if I ever had a child, I thought this child had kidnapped children mm-hmm. and was keeping them in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, I would call I would call police, absolutely. Um, I would also grab a shotgun mm-hmm. and show up at their home and be like, okay, them boys, well, not boys, girls in this case, mm-hmm. but uh, they're coming with me. I already called police if you get in my way. I'm gonna, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'd be like, I don't care if the police take this seriously. Like, I will take this into my own hands and deal with this. So, the next section is called, how did you fuck this up? <laughs> I've had so many of those sections and I hate it. Uh, in December of 95, police decided to search his house because he was, like, a number one suspect when kids started going missing. Uh, why the fuck it took so long? We're getting dangerously close to my birthday and I'm scared. Yeah. Uh, why the fuck it took so long for them to decide to search his house pisses me off? Because, remember, the first abduction happened in June. It's now December. Wait, like, why didn't you do it immediately? Uh, his house was visited twice. Once on December 13th and once on December 19th. They found nothing. Uh... But the locksmith police brought with them said he could hear children screaming from within the house. And uh, this exchange happened. So, reportedly, and repeatedly, uh, the locksmith said, I'm not leaving before we turn this place upside down. There's screams that are clearly coming from within inside the house. To which the officer replied, who is the police officer here? You or me? Literally go fuck yourself. (laughs) Well, as uh, seeing as police officers have a, uh, and don't, there are plenty of good police officers. Don't come for me. However, this is not one of them. There's a reason why a lot of these cases go on so long, and a lot of the reason that some of these serial killers kill for so long is because the police investigations are big, old, not good. Mm-hmm. And that kind of attitude is usually one of the main reasons that they're big, old. Not good. And I hate it. Mm-hmm. Knock that shit off. No, we're not done with the how did y'all fuck this shit up. <laughs> so, during the search, they did confiscate tapes, which were never looked at. Why would you even take them then? Like, don't even fucking bother well, if you're not going to look at them. They weren't looked at at the time. Like, after he got arrested, they looked at them, but it was like... Bruh, Why'd you even take them if you weren't gonna look at them right away? Like, also, just wouldn't your curiosity be killing you? Mm-hmm. Like, don't y'all? You're all their cops. You're mm-hmm. supposed to be curious. I'm, I would want to know immediately. So, the lead investigator was the one who watched them and found that the tapes showed Dutro building the dungeon. What a dumb thing to tape yourself. I mean, all of this is dumb to tape yourself doing. Never tape yourself doing crimes, you fucking idiots. But, like, oh, please stop. They were then passed to the prosecutors. Then given back to Dutroux. Why? And by 1999, they had gone missing. Because that bitch destroyed them. Why would you not destroy the tapes of you doing crimes? Also, why would you make the tapes of you doing crimes? I'm mad that he made the tapes of him. Yeah. Uh, the ones that did remain did show him raping a young girl, though. I mean, at least the one left behind was pretty fucking incriminating, but... What the fuck? But the tapes they found were him building the dungeon. If they had watched those... They would have known where the dungeon, and also the the nature of the dungeon, like, not to mention just, like, why were there, why were those ever given back? You know what I mean? It's not like they're like, oh, hey, 
Um, so you murdered your wife with a big old kitchen knife from your block? Um, you know, do, do you want that back? No, they keep that shit. Oh, they straight, like, LAPD this shit. Yeah, like, why would you ever give, like, I don't, I can't think of a single case. Like, once in a while if they'll take, like, I know if they raid, like, people's houses and then they take, like, all of their, like, computers and stuff. Like, once they clear them, if there's nothing on them, they'll give them back. Mm-hmm. But these weren't cleared. You know what I mean? Like, they, it's not like he watched the tapes and it's like, oh, this is just home movies of him, like, you know, at a picnic with his daughter or something. Like, what? what? My brain hurts. It physically hurts. <laughs> it's not going to get any better. So, mm-hmm. in 98, Dutro was allowed to look over his case file, uh, during which point he pulled a Bundy and escaped. Put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. They caught him a few hours later. Oh, well. Was he drunk in a Louisiana liquor store? No. <laughs> uh, and the good news of this is that the Minister of Justice, the Minister of the Interior, and the Police Chief all resigned as a result. And uh, Dutro had five years added to his sentence for escape. Good. But you know me. I can't leave you on a good note. So uh, we're going to wrap this section up with thousands of hairs were collected from the dungeon and none of them were ever tested. (laughs) I just want to scream and never stop screaming. I also want to throttle some people. I I have a whole list that I'm constructing in my head. But wait, there's more. Stop! (laughs) (laughs) No. So this next section is called, Y'all Epstein's This Bullshit. So, a lot of the general public in Belgium felt that Dutro was part of a pedophile ring that included high-ranking officials, which is maybe why everything with this case was such a fucking shit show. Uh, the original judge that was supposed to preside over the case was Judge Jean-Marc Conrads. Bless me. Yeah, I was gonna say bless you. Uh... Before the case went to trial, Jean-Marc was removed from it, and a lot of press reports claimed that this was because Jean-Marc was uh, planning to publicly disclose names of high-level government officials that were involved in a child pornography ring. Uh, Multiple families of the victims accused the government of a cover-up. During a protest, Melissa's parents said that removing Jean-Marc was, quote, uh, spitting on the graves of Julian Melissa, which valid. Uh, they also claimed that after his removal, there was a, uh, no progress in the investigation. Like, it just came to a standstill. Right, because he was the only guy who gave a fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two... Are you okay? <laughs> I'm not sure what demon just rose out of my throat. I heard that. That was... <laughs> I don't know what that was. That was kind of terrifying. Oh my god. Anyways. So, in 2001, uh, Anne's father accused the police and the judicial system of a cover-up. Rough translation of his quote is basically like, it feels like they don't want to find the truth, it's not a good feeling, and not only I think this. Yeah, you're you're not the only one that thinks. I also think this. I very, very much think this. (laughs) Are you ready for the part where they, uh, Epstein's this bullshit? I never am. I never am. Alright. Alexandre Gosling. 
reportedly told his son that he thought Weinstein's behavior was strange, that four days after Julie and Melissa were abducted of natural causes, post-abdominal pain. Oh no, this is coming back. It's all coming back to me now. (laughs) Oh no. Uh... Gus Gobbles. Why? Wait. Okay. Just for clarification, yeah. Weinstein was his accomplice that he buried alive, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. That's that was the thought. one who stole a car after they abducted Anne and Effie, and Dutro was like, "Dude, go fuck yourself." Now the police want you, so I buried him alive. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Just want to uh, make sure I was on the right thing. So, Gus Gobel, sure, uh, was a police officer who worked on the case from the beginning. Died August twenty fifth of nineteen ninety five from a gunshot wound to the head. And this was declared a suicide. Wow, that sounds shockingly familiar. Never heard that one before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno Tagliaferro was an acquaintance of Dutro. Good luck. Uh, before his death, he told his wife he was going to die because he knew too much, and then he died November 5th, 1995 from poisoning. Uh, after his death, his wife told police that he had gotten rid of a car used to abduct two of the girls. You know, this is, uh, it, it's, it's funny because it's not even like he got free. Hmm. Like, it's like, what was the point of killing all of these people? Just still, like, you did, you still went to prison, like, you didn't even get out of it. Uh, Jean-Paul... Well, some of these deaths happen after he gets arrested. So this is why, like, people right, so, were like, hmm, that seems a little... Like something kinky. Uh, oh, it just clicked because he could be, like, selling porn or, like, or yeah. just even selling girls in general. But probably more likely porn because he's selling the pictures. He has the pictures yeah. and the videos and the Right now, the only one that. that he had opportunity for was Alexandre. Um, but Gus was 95, so that's after he gets arrested. Right, oh. so it's it's probably more like the... No, no, no. The people who were, like, invested in the mm-hmm. ring or whatever, rather than him himself trying to get out of prison. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That makes more uh, sense. So next we have Jean-Paul Tamanuyu. Who is a neighbor. More power to you. Thank you. Uh, he was a neighbor who told a friend he had info about Dutro. Uh, he went missing April 2nd of 1995, and his foot was found in a river, but the rest of his body was never found. So they were just trying to stop it from spreading any farther. They're like, oh, yep, that guy, that was the only guy. He just wanted that for himself. Only, mm. only guy there. Uh, Francois, 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 uh, had information about Melissa, died July 26th, 1995, when he was supposed to make a statement. He fell in front of a train. You know how one does. <laughs> People just fall in front of trains sometimes. Yeah. You know how that happens. Totally casually. Uh, so next we have Simon Poncelet, who was a police officer investigating the case, and he was shot in his office on February 21st, 1996. Was that one a suicide, too? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm not even done with this list, my dude. <laughs> uh, we have Michael Pirro, who is a nightclub owner that contacted the families three months after Dutro's arrest, saying that he had information, and he was shot in the parking lot. 
That's like a weird choice. Why would you not just go to the police? Why would you go to the family? I mean, if you know that there's some kinky shit going on, I could yeah, see why you that's go to the family fair. And not the authority. And also, I feel like if I had direct information on their specific family member, mm-hmm. I would also, I would, I mean, I would still contact the police, but I would probably want them to know. Yeah. Be like, in case the police fuck this up, mm-hmm. here's important here's, info, here's yeah. Uh... Christian... Wait, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Did he tell the families any information, or was he killed before he could tell the families anything? No, he contacted the families three months after Dutro was arrested, saying that he had information and wanted to, like, meet up with them. But he died before they could do that. And he was shot thing. in the parking lot of his clip. Gotcha, okay. Uh... Though, honestly, if they were smart and he did tell them anything, they wouldn't have said anything, you right. know what I mean? So... It's probably more somebody, like, overheard him saying, like, hey, I've got information, like, let's meet up, and then being, like... Or even the family members could have just said, like, or fucking tapping their phones. Or even if the family yeah. members were like, oh, hey, that guy, you know, contacted us and said he wanted to meet up, and then the wrong, yeah, overhears right. it or something. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they had their phones tapped. Anyway, uh, Christian Conrad was a prisoner that was supposed to give a statement on things Dutro had told him while in prison. Uh, he conveniently escaped and then was found dead on March 7th, 1997. Because that also happens all the time. Super mm-hmm. common. Totally normal. Uh, next we have Jose Step, who had info on Dutro. He died April 25th, 1997, two days before he was supposed to give a statement to police. And there was uh, Rofant Rolith. That was enjoyable to watch your brain try to do. <laughs> My brain just gave up. There's too many. Ma- okay, there's too many languages in this episode that my brain just is like, no. Uh, a heavy sedative. There was a barbiturate found yep. in his inhaler. <laughs> oh, I fucking yeah. Because we were talking about like how the fuck. Because yeah, like, like aerosoling that would have like what happened. It had to be because there's for you to be able to not only aerosol like. Put that, yeah, aerosolize that, but on top of that, somehow put it in. Because it's not like you can just pierce an aerosol can and depress a plunger into it. Like, you have to do very specific things. So it had to be on, like, the inside or maybe the outside of the mouthpiece. So then when it touched, like, the membranes of the inside of his mouth, it would, like, do it. I wonder how Dutro felt about this. Because he had to know that these people were dropping, like, flies. (laughs) And I wonder if he was scared for, like, himself. Right. Just in general being like, okay, if I say the wrong thing and put this blame on anyone else that is not me yeah. or give any information, like, well, and that's they're like, going to get me next. So after he got arrested, he was, like, weirdly cooperative and was, like, admitting to a ton of shit. So, like, I'm Probably because sure he exactly was like, yeah, they're going to murder me if I don't like, take the blame for this and the yeah. sole blame for this. Uh, so next we have Anna Conjavoda. Good luck. Uh, she contacted police about connections of a porn ring centered around Dutro. She was found beaten, choked, and dumped in a river April 4th of 1998. Love that aggressive violence against women compared to all the men who were killed in this. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, Gina Perdez was a social worker specializing in chi- victims of child porn. Uh, told friends that she recognized an acquaintance of Dutro on one of the porn tapes and contacted police about it. Then on November 15th, 1998, she died in a car crash. She was sent into a bridge railing at 80 kilometers an hour. 
I feel like this is like a whole like example. It's like, okay, so if the government or high-ranking officials are going to kill people, we got a list of things they can do. We can shoot them in a parking lot. <laughs> we can fake suicide. Uh-huh. We can car crash. Uh-huh. And we can poison. Don't forget, uh, fall in front of a train. Oh, and we can fall in front of, or fall off of buildings, or fall into, inc- yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there's, like, a list, and they're like, okay, we gotta hit every single thing. <laughs> they really do. <did>, <laughs> okay. So, uh, next we have Fabienne Jupar, uh, who is the wife of Bruno, and on December 18th, 1998, her bedroom caught on fire with her inside. The room had been filled with methanol. Arson. That was also, yep, that's also an alarm. Her death was ruled a suicide. Weirdly enough, most people aren't going to choose to light that are protesting Buddhist monks are probably not going to light themselves on fire. Um, Weirdly enough, that's unpleasant. Yeah. And most people don't want to suffer extraneously before they die. Mm -hmm. Even people who put their head in, before anyone says people put their heads in stoves. Um, yeah, the point of putting your head in a stove is not so your head catches on fire. No, it's to inhale the gas. It's the gas, my dudes. <laughs> my dudes. You, you die and the flames don't even get to you. So, well, I mean, it's not impossible that it can, but they almost always find those people not burnt. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they might be a little crispy, but, like, that was not the cause of death, my guys. Yeah. Uh, Hubert Massa was a senior prosecutor on the case. Died July 13th of 1999. His death was ruled a suicide. Who's surprised? Gregory Antipine was a police officer investigating the case. Found hung on August 15th, 1999. His death was ruled a suicide. We really just covered all of the bases. Literally, like, every base. Uh... Naj Renard, acquaintance of Dutro, told authorities he'd give them a list of contacts, died in a car crash on his way to police. Now we're repeating. We ran out of options. <laughs> uh, Bernard Rosemond, porn film director, on his way to police to give them information about Dutro, died in a car crash on the way there. You're overusing the car crash. I need new inventive things, my guys. (laughs) And last, but certainly not least, Christoph Van Hex was a journalist investigating the case. Would you like to take a guess on how he fucking died? Is it a car crash? Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Not really. It's not even a lot than that. (sighs) So, uh, when I say that they epstein this bullshit, I really mean they epstein this bullshit. Yeah, aggressively. There's like 20 plus people that mysteriously died. Like in connection. Yeah, in connection with Dutro. It's fucking insane. Don't like that. So uh, the caveat that we always have to put in these episodes, (laughs) neither of us are suicidal. Both of us are good drivers. Yeah. Uh, If we mysteriously come up... uh, Suicided or a car yeah, crashed. Yeah. Uh, we live by railroad tracks too, so if we get hit by a train, if I get hit by a train, <laughs> if I'm in my car, it's probably my own fault, to be honest. But uh, if I'm not in my car, someone definitely pushed me. Yeah, because I'd be some dumb idiot to 
get impatient with it. But I'll- yeah, uh, feel free to investigate our deaths because uh, between this case and the Yakuza and a whole lot of bad. The, oh, the fucking Genesee child killer! I called out Epstein for not. Yeah, yeah, we're really adding uh, up a list here. So between the Clintons, the Yakuza, and the fucking Belgian government, we're doing great, you guys. We're doing real great. Real, real good. This is fine. Everything's fine. This is fine. It'll all be fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. We're not going to die under mysterious circumstances. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, it's about damn time we got to the trial. Don't you think? I forgot that didn't happen. <laughs> to be honest. So, Dutro's trial began... Began? Began. <laughs> on March 1st, 2004. Uh, Martin was also tried as an accomplice. They were kept in glass cages during the trial due to concerns of retaliation from the family, which is reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I found out that somebody, like, pushed my friend's 15-year-old daughter and I was ready to go to prison over it. So, like, if you killed my 8-year-old daughter, you bet I'm willing to go to prison over that. Even if you didn't kill them and you just touched my non-existent 8-year-old daughter, I'd kill you. Oh, like, yeah. absolutely not. You you lay hands on a child, and I will go to prison over it. I do not care. We don't kill anybody, We but we especially es- do not kill children. Especially if I have a relationship with said child, like, I will go to prison over you touching them. I don't care if you pushed them or tried to do anything sexual with them. I don't care if you tapped them on the shoulder the wrong way. I will go to prison over it. I'm not afraid of a little bit of assault. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. <laughs> anyway, uh, they were tried on five counts of murder as well as auto theft, abduction, attempted murder, attempted abduction, molestation, and the ramp of the ramp, the rape of three girls from Slovakia. <laughs> the ramp. <laughs> That's a quite a quite a rap sheet, isn't it? Uh, so. Dutro's testimony, he claimed to be a lower-level member of a powerful pedophile ring. Uh, he did admit to the torture and abuse of all of the girls, but denied killing any of them. But you do know when you bury them alive, that kills them, right? I'll I'll give them Melissa and Julie, because technically that was, like, Martin that starved them to death. Also, he was, yeah, he wasn't even there. He was in prison. But uh, the other ones, yeah, strangely enough, when you bury people alive, that, that'll kill them. Not to mention, if you if you didn't kidnap the girls in the first place, they wouldn't have been in the position to starve to death. Uh, he, in regards to Julie and Melissa, he swore he never raped them, which was a lie, but rather built the dungeon to protect them from the, quote, sinister sex ring. <gasps> yeah, you know when I was, like, making porn of these eight-year-old girls and selling it to people all across the world? Um, I was just, I was just trying to protect them. them. I abducted them to protect them. I could have just let them live their lives with their parents where no one would have ever touched them or taken pictures of them, but instead I had to protect had them to protect by them. keeping them in a dungeon. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Uh, he also admitted to burying Weinstein alive. So that one, he was like, yeah, I, I did that. Yeah, I did that shit. <laughs> uh, so Martin's testimony. Homegirl threw Dutro's whole ass under a bus. Like, whole ass. Uh, her 
testimony was basically like he did all of the abducting, all of the sexual abuse, you know, said that he murdered Weinstein. Uh, she did testify that Melissa and Julie starved to death in their basement because she was too scared to go down there. Uh, she also said that by 1985, Dutro had decided to abduct girls and said that he had told her that it was easier to abduct and rape girls rather than to start affairs with them. Uh, this also, he, and he presented this to her like, hey, if I just, you know, abduct and rape people, then I'm not going to be having any affairs and I'm going to have more money to spend on you. I'm not going to have to take them on dates. They're not going to get emotionally connected. You know, what's a little rape between a couple? Right. And if you help me, then, like, I'll spend more money on you. And we'll spend more time together. We'll make it a family activity. Literally things that he said. I feel like this is a PSA I shouldn't have to make. But if your significant other suggests that it might be better for you guys if you just uh, introduce some new people into your relationship via kidnapping and rape. Maybe just say no. I didn't think that needed to be said. Say uh, Here we are. Maybe just be like, nah. And I'm outie. I'm, I'm outie. <laughs> uh, so Judge Jean-Marc also testified. Uh, and he broke down on the stand and told this whole tale about his investigation into a child sex mafia. I forgot about the child <laughs> sex mafia. Forever. No more rings. I we don't really, ring here. We mafia. I really tried to translate that word into literally anything besides mafia. But I literally went to like an English to French dictionary. I used the Apple translation app. I used Google Translate. And every single one was like, no, this is the French word for mafia. Fuck. I love it. So, uh, child sex mafia. Uh, he stated that for his own protection, he had to drive in armored cars, which I, I completely... Yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, he criticized authorities for not rescuing Julie and Melissa, which is valid. Uh, also criticized them for accepting Martin's story of their death at face value, which is also valid. Totally valid. I'm, I'm with, I'm with him on these things. Uh, during the trial, he wrote, he read a letter that he wrote to King Albert II in 96, and, uh, buckle up kiddos, because this has a lot of, uh, 50 cent words in it. (laughs) So, his letter was, this institution seems to acquire its authority and supremacy over sectors of the justice system by relying on a complex and secret modus operandi that of the appropriation of certain key circuits of our institutions created and regulated by the law. It is a matter essentially of political, financial, police, and media circuits. This mafia-style criminal phenomenon is evidently not peculiar to Belgium, but it involves particular manifestations that are well-suited to this small country. We can imagine the obstacles that a judiciary inquiry will meet when investigating such facts. Numerous taboos, problems of mentality, and a lack of cultural reference on the issue in order to be able to become aware of or deal with such criminal phenomena. Taking advantage in Belgium of official uh, reticence in terms of their acknowledgement which favors or supports their oculation. The function of a criminal system of this sort is obviously to serve its fundamental purpose 
the pursuance of particularly profitable illicit activities such as money laundering and to protect the legitimacy of his activities and to impute me of his agents. This indispensable function corresponds to the motive of criminal protection that assures the permanency of the incriminated system by means of the infiltration of the certain circuits of our institutions, especially the police force, a veritable knot which my whole investigation has come up against. So someone got a hold of a thesaurus. <laughs> he really, really threw in those, you know, 50 cent words. I mean, I get it. I get what he's trying to say, but sir. I get the gist, but, uh. I understand you're educated. You didn't need to flex it like that. I feel like the more people, like, just being in academia at all, the more people feel the need to show you oh. that they're intelligent, the, the less, the less so that is true. There's a lot of people in academia like that. It's, it's a fun time. I... If you're like that, no one likes you, and <laughs> I can promise you that. I'm sorry. One of the research labs that I worked at, and I feel confident saying this because I know that, I know for a fact he doesn't listen to this, uh, but one of the research labs that I worked with, um, we had lab meetings every Fridays, and it was where, like, postdocs and research fellows could present, like, where they were at with their research and kind of, like, give right. updates, like, what they were doing, and... Um, if he was the one presenting, you could almost guarantee that it was going to be a three-hour discussion because he would say something, contradict himself, argue with himself, and then keep going. And it was fucking wild. There, I mean, I mean there are such things as counter-arguments, but uh, you that's don't have not, to do though. You yourself, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> and then if he wasn't the one presenting, you could still guarantee that it was going to be like a two-hour thing. Because he would, like, interrupt almost every point and try to, like, contradict it, even if he was wrong. I know a lot of people like that, yeah. honestly. It was a fun time. Or even just, like, as professors, where you're, like, just trying to, like, have a real conversation with them and be mm -hmm. like, hey, this is something I want to talk about, or this is something I'm interested in, or whatever, and they just can't stop, like, being a fucking thesaurus, and you're like, this isn't helpful. Just chill. Like, we can all read a fucking dictionary. Be a real human being. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, for all of the people in research that I have worked with that listen to this, don't worry. I'm not talking about you. And also, side note, very tiny, very tiny soapbox. Oh, no. Someone being intelligent and the vernacular they use have nothing to do with each other. Like we said, people using fucking... Says the person who just casually used vernacular. Get off of your soapbox. I'm just saying, <laughs> you can have a fucking PhD and say finna, or you can be a fucking idiot and use very complicated words. Like I said, be reading a dictionary has nothing to do with how intelligent you are. And there's yeah. plenty of people, cough, cough, like myself, where it's like, I can write a fucking paper, get an A plus on it, have it be very, whatever, scientific, or I can just be like, I ain't finna do that today. <laughs> Like, that shit don't mean nothing. She's not lying. I've seen her use words really casually in a sentence that nobody should ever casually use in a sentence, but then in the next sentence, just be like, I ain't gonna do it. Girl, what? <laughs> I literally said to Cece, we were talking about <laughs> Anna Karenina, and I said, oh, what the fuck did I say? I said something about, like, are we not even, like, 
kind of talk about like the class disparity in between like or something just like something ridiculous talking about like class disparity and like the fucking media rep oh just all this shit and i was just like these these, there's no difference here (laughs) they're one and the same and also it's inherently racist because you know if you're getting down on people for using slang words and stuff like that, implying that they aren't intelligent, then, you know, you're a little classist and a little bit racist. It's fine. Anyways, off my soapbox. All right. So, uh, sentencing. Dutro and Martin were found guilty of all charges. Uh, Dutro was sentenced to life, while Martin was sentenced to 30 years. Are you ready for some more bullshit, Part 2? Always. Martin only served 13 years of her 30-year sentence. Never mind, I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When she was released, she went to a convent where she lived until it was sold. After that, an unnamed judge created an apartment in his converted farmhouse where she now lives. Uh, She and Dutro got divorced in 2003, also while they were in prison. They got married in prison, they got divorced. Is there any other way for that to end? No. <laughs> they came beautifully full circle. But I think if anything ever indicates that this was most definitely, like, a sex, like, a child pornography ring. With mafia. High, child pornography mafia with, like, high-ranking officials is the fact that a judge housed you after you got off prison. Yeah, there's just so much bad. There's a lot of bad. Aggressive bad. On February 4th of 2013, Dutro petitioned the court of, for an early release. He insisted that he was no longer dangerous and wanted to be released into the house arrest with a tether. The court said, fuck you. <laughs> fuck off. So in early 2019, he petitioned again for early release. Uh, so October 20th of 2019, there was a protest against his early release, which mirrored another protest uh, that they did during his case. So the first one was called the Black March, and it was in 2001, and it was protesting like how long it was taking for them to sentence him. Right. He got arrested in 98, and then didn't go to trial until 2004. Wait, like we should have dealt with this by now. So people were like really, really pissed. And then the White March was the one in 2019 protesting him like trying to petition for early release. Right. Like it was just the entire entirety of Belgium just being like, no, if you let him out, we're gonna kill him. Right, like we're fucking pissed. Yeah. Uh so on October twenty eighth, twenty eighteen, the court ordered a new psych eval that must be submitted by May eleventh of twenty twenty. Uh they will also examine the impact of his time in uh solitary confinement for the last twenty three years. Uh if he clears it, he could be released as early as twenty twenty one. So yeah, he's been in solitary this entire time, because, you know, uh, even prisons don't like child molesters, and they'll fucking kill you. As is dessert? Yeah. I mean, who said that? (laughs) You know it's bad when people who are literal convicts and murderers are like, I will kill you for the things that you have done. Yeah, when they- it's bad when there's a line where even people who have done terrible things are like, yeah, no, that's a line we don't right. cross. Yeah. Like, we don't, like, we don't fuck with that no. at all. Gives me a lot of respect for prison populations. I don't like that intro. Are you ready for the worst letter that I've ever read? 
Yes, I actually genuinely am, like, trying to remember this, and I don't. I remember the first uh, one, but I don't remember this one. So, Jethro's oh, No, I do. I wrote um, a letter to the, fam- the families of the victims. This one was also full of a lot of dime store words. Oh, it's... I'll fucking write. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Alex Stefanov for helping me translate this. You are the real MVP, and I love you and appreciate you so goddamn much, because I do not know what I would have done without you. I probably would have cried. <laughs> so thank you so much. I appreciate the ever-living shit out of you, and I hope you're doing great in practice. We love uh, you. Thank you. Second of all, fucking buckle up, kiddos, because this is the worst, li- literally the worst letter I've ever read. So this starts... Sir, Madam, Miss, first of all, go fuck yourself for being so general. You had six families. You easily could have just fucking. <sighs> Literally just been like, dear this family. Right. Dear this family. Dear this family. <sighs> oh, okay. Uh, after careful consideration, I have taken the initiative to write to you. Since you have been the vic- been victims of the actions, among other things, of my current client, Mr. Jutro. I aim, above all, to be deeply respectful to everyone. I write with reparations in mind, even if it may seem derisive. Uh, I do so without trying to attack or reopen wounds, but instead to try to heal them, even if modestly. (sighs) This is so long, and, like, it's so full of bullshit. I think I'll just go, like, paragraph by paragraph. And let you just dissect paragraph by paragraph because it's so full of bullshit. Are you holding a handful of fucking baloney? Salami. Thank you. There's a difference. I was hungry. I needed some salami. <laughs> but yes, let's go paragraph by paragraph. Okay. So that was the first paragraph, which is, you know, I'm not trying to be derisive and not trying to attack or reopen wounds. Too late. You already did that by the fact that you wrote the letter and also that you couldn't even identify the families. Yeah. Firstly, the contents of this letter are confidential from my point of view. As its recipient, it is up to you to decide whether to make it public. In this regard, I regret that its subject was rumored before it even reached you which seemingly led it to be interpreted by the public as equivocation on my part, something I did not intend. In but order, you released it. In order to avoid misunderstandings, I therefore would like to highlight the reasons I am writing to you on behalf of Mr. Petro, Dutro. In my eyes, my approach fits within a legal framework, but, but also in a broader, more human one. So uh, I'm going to dissect that real quick. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> excuse me. Uh, the letter, like, the families knew that they were going to get a letter before it even got to them, because, like, it was, like, the letter itself wasn't leaked to the press, but the existence of it was leaked to the press. Sorry, I'm getting, like, really aggressive hiccups. Um, so the families had, like, read in, like, news articles and stuff that they were getting a letter from his lawyer, and they're like, cool, we haven't even seen this fucking letter, but glad everybody else knows about it. Right, like, you um, couldn't have just sent it to us very secretly, like... Yeah. And then... The lawyer was, like, trying to be all fucking ridiculous and be like, oh, the contents of it are private. Everybody knows that you're doing this, so go fuck yourself. Um, but yeah, I didn't get this from any, like, news sources. That's why I had to get it translated, was because the father of one of the victims posted it on his Facebook. Y'all don't even ask me how I tracked that down. I, I care too much. (laughs) I care way too much. Um... But the father of one of the victims posted it on his Facebook with this whole thing of, like, 
basically just go fuck yourself. Uh, he did not appreciate the letter in any way, shape, or form. He thought it was a load of bullshit, which is valid. And he posted, like, pictures of the letter, which is how I got it, which is how I got it translated. So here we are. <laughs> ah, okay. Anyway, <laughs> from a strictly legal point of view, three of the five early release conditions relate directly to the victim. The risk that the condemned possessed towards them, the efforts he made to compensate them, and more broadly, the attitude he holds toward them. From this point of view alone, it therefore seems completely legitimate and even desirable from the perspective of all parties that I briefly report to you the situation and the state of mind of Mr. Dutro finds himself in regarding these three conditions, which I will focus on in this letter. To be quite honest, I don't give a fuck yeah. where Dutro is. I mean, I, and obviously I'm not speaking for the families. They might be of a totally different, you know, opinion than I am, but, um, well, I can tell you there's no excuse. <laughs> yeah. There's no forgiveness. There's no apologies. There's no moving past it. There's no, no, I don't care what state of mind you were in then. And I don't care what state of mind you're in now. Right. You should be dead. And rant. Yeah. <laughs> and, and rant. Also, like, in saying that, like, you're not making it sound like you're doing this for the sake of, like, your client now has, like, feels bad and wants to apologize. You're like, you know, for just checking off the checklist to get his ass out of there. Because if he felt bad and was genuinely remorseful and sorry, he, he would have written the letter himself. He would have sent it with no media presence. He would have just sat down, wrote it one day, individually, mm -hmm. to each family, specifically talking about each victim yeah. separately. Oh, this was a typed letter, by the way, too. This wasn't like written. Yeah, like, which, I mean, I'm not mad that he, like, typed it, because, like, as a lawyer, if I was, like, doing this, I would probably type it as well, but, like, he should have never... He should not have even really been involved. I get no. him needing to be involved because, obviously, Dutro doesn't have, like, the addresses for these people and stuff like that. So I get having him be involved in, like, a context. But right. it should be no more than being like, hey, I wrote these letters. Give them out. Mm -hmm. The end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we continue. From a more general point of view, it seemed appropriate to me, perhaps mistakenly, I am not a judge. Yes. To reach out to you. Like, judges know all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, what? Okay. Sir, you went to law school. You know you're being an asshole. Uh, 28 years have passed since Mr. Dutro was arrested. However, until today, due to the characteristics of our judicial system, everyone has had to remain walled up in pain and silence, with any form of communication whatsoever seeming inconceivable. I obviously do not imagine an opportunity to fraternize, uh... Quotation for Uh I am neither naive nor provocative. First of all, um, I promise you no one has remained silent and walled up in their pain in silence. Uh, no, they've been quite vocal, yeah. actually. There was a whole ass protest. Right, like no one is being quiet about this. By the families. There was two whole ass protests. Protests? Protests that were organized by the families. Like, the families have been very vocal about how they feel about your client, and they feel that he's a giant shitbag. Ah. Also, I don't think you're, I don't think inconceivable means what you want it to mean, my dude. Inconceivable! 
<laughs> Anyways. Uh, on the other hand, I do not see initiating a dialogue in whatever form as exclusionary or harmful. I'll begin from the point of view, totally subjectively, you are free to disagree, that staying forever silent is not necessarily beneficial to anyone. As it is your prerogative to demand an explanation from Mr. Dutro, to demand he answer questions left unanswered, or simply to express your feelings towards him. Not only should he hear them, but this could perhaps help relieve some of your own pain. Who's silent? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to spook you. <laughs> My sternum just popped. But I'm just saying, like, who is silent? Right. What like, do you mean? No one has been silent. When there's a protest of 3,000 people plus about your client petitioning to get out early. They're not being they're silent. They're not being silent. They're making it very clear how they feel. Like, what What are you even fucking talking? You're literally talking out your ass. Like, what do you, what? I know. Do you even know what clients we're talking about here? <laughs> I know. Uh, my approach is therefore in line with an extremely commendable, oh, go on. Sorry, I had an object, an objective. A notification that covered the word that I was trying to read, which was objective. <laughs> I'm just going to start this whole paragraph over again, because yikes. Okay. My approach is therefore in line with an extremely commendable objective, that which is known as restorative justice. Because if the Belgian criminal justice system somehow assumes two of the three functions it was instituted for, namely to punish and to remove from harm's way, it is clear that it has failed in its third mission, that is, to repair. I seriously doubt, without pretending I can put myself in your place, which I'm well aware I cannot do, that either the relentless condemnation of Mr. Dutro or the eventual compensation you'll receive from the Victims Aid Commission will sufficiently replace this sort of repair. It is also not absurd to expect you to demand anything else. In this case, there may be useful, even necessary initiatives to take advantage of, and this is the essential motive behind this letter. To return to the legal framework, I would like to confirm, as is necessary, that Mr. Dutro has assured me he does not ever intend to initiate contact with you, but that he is ready to respond should you wish to call. As for your compensation, I must admit that he possesses nothing, and he is therefore totally and definitively incapable of satisfying this requirement. I mean, I get the I get the compensation thing because well, I mean, he had a lot of money to start with, but I don't know how Belgium works in that context where they might have seized that property already yeah. and like because most prisons will they'll kind of like liquidate all your assets and uh, stuff. Uh, so he, that's probably legit. Source that I read that said that he was worth about fifty million when he got arrested, and he had the seven properties. Because you have to remember too this. Dude was part of a fucking luxury Grand Theft Auto ring. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Which still, like, I mean, even that aside, like, I mean, yeah, that's probably just bullshit. But, like, I just, like, I'm so stuck on that. Like, just none of these families have been silent. And it's, like, it's not like these families don't know that they can't just pick up a pen and write a letter or call him or visit him if they want to confront him. Like, they know that, and they've made the specific decisions that they've needed to make for them to be... Okay. Right. And clearly they've decided that not talking to him and contacting him is, well, I get that some, fa some families want the killer to reach out to them first. So like, I, I get it, but also it's just like, yeah, bro, we're not idiots. 
But even if they were waiting for him to contact them, they've made it very clear that they do not want that. Like, even even in the Facebook post where the guy posted this letter, he was like, none of us have been silent. Like, we have literally rallied against your client because we don't want to hear from him. We don't want to hear what he has to say. We're not going to buy any sort of bullshit apology he tries to throw our way. Like, we've all been very clear that he can rot in jail for all we care. Yeah, like, we... Like, they're not idiots. Like, they know how this works. Like, they... Yeah. Ah! Uh, lawyer can really just go fuck himself. So where's his car crash? <laughs> where's his car crash? Well, I'm not done. Don't worry, we still have one, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs left. Kill me. Uh, Do we have to? Yes. And don't worry, the Yakuza or the Belgian government or the Clintons will take care of that. <laughs> okay, so. Well, My own body is trying to take care of that. <laughs> okay. Finally, as for his attitude towards the allegations for which he was convicted, I believe it is no secret to anyone that he admits the most serious ones while contesting the others. If there is anything that everyone would agree on without a doubt, it is that the Arlon trial did not deliver the answers to all questions. Far from it. For my part, I do not have privileged access to the truth. I can only go off what I am told. I can see simply that Mr. Dutro, like most convicts, has his truth. It does not coincide completely with the judicial truth. Therefore, although Mr. Dutro contests that he has committed some of the things for which he has been found culpable, he remains overwhelmingly personally responsible, since it is, if not for his involvement to whatever degree, neither Julie, Melissa, Ann, nor Effie would have died in atrocities, in, 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 in atrocious circumstances, and Sabine, like Laida, would not have suffered such an ordeal. To his credit, I report that Mr. Dutro has already suffered in any event in strict isolation for a large portion of his sentence. Wow, I feel so bad. I don't. Go fuck yourself. I hope you spend the rest of your life in solitary confinement. I hope you lose your mind. I hope you start hearing voices. I hope you slam your head against the wall because the voices in your head told you to. I hope you get ulcers. I hope you get mouth sores that just release pus every time you try to eat something. I hope one of your socks is always wet. I hope one of the legs on your bed is shorter than all of the other ones. I hope that they don't give you any sort of reading material except for, like, a fucking child's book with three words in it. And then your left toe gets MRSA. Because <laughs> your sock's always wet. Just your left toe. <laughs> just your left toe. But it'll be the rest of you pretty soon. I hope you get cancer. I, I'm trying to think of other inconveniences. <laughs> I hope you. I hope you bite the inside of your cheek, and you know it's always just like. Oh yeah! Every every time you eat, I, it's I always just it. there. Um. I hope your cell is always cold, and you don't have enough blankets. Um. But it's always like three degrees too cold, where you're just like ever so slightly shivering. Yes. But you can never quite get comfortable. Exactly. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Uh, I hope that your blankets are made of, like, the really cheap, scratchy wool. It's a prison, you know that they are. Uh, I hope that the toilet in your cell gets backed up and it makes it smell like shit for three weeks. You drink some bad prison hooch? I 
hope that your food is always bland and never has any seasoning on it. I don't well, it is a prison, so <laughs> that, uh, that, that's probably true. Actually, I take it back. I hope your food is so salty that you have a sodium overdose because that is bland. Also, just I would rather have my food be bland than like too salty. I hope your food is too salty, but you don't have enough water to pump your poops. But anyways, let's read the rest of these paragraphs because I don't want to listen to them, so I want them to be over. I was having too much fun thinking of mild inconveniences. <laughs> okay, this has been a summary of my reflections in a few paragraphs. Oh, yeah, no, this is the next paragraph. Sorry, it felt weird. Uh, okay, this has been a summary of my reflections in a few paragraphs. I would not like to hurt you in any way. One of the characteristics of a criminal act is that both the victims and the culpable, for some reason, and despite others, share something in common. The crime is irreversible. The course of their lives has been abruptly changed. It therefore seemed to me that something had to be done. I believe that Mr. Dutro expressing his regrets and directly admitting his wrongdoings to you could be beneficial to all. Of course, each of you is free to react to this letter as you see fit. However, I hope that there remain no misunderstandings about the meaning of my approach. There's a lot of misunderstandings. Yeah. That's all I have to say That's about that all. one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll do these last three in, like, one final go, because, like, two of them are, like, really short. Like, oh, yeah. Sentence paragraphs. Works for me. Okay. On that note, a final thought. As Mr. Dutro's counsel, I have, I may have to adopt certain positions in the media that could bring you suffering and make you believe I am not sensitive to your torment. I would like to deny this impression and express to you my sincerest compassion. The defense of a criminal have its imperatives. It does not preclude its attentiveness to the victim's pain. In any case, I would like to thank you again for your attention and to reiterate the expression of my utmost respect. Sir, Madam, Miss, please accept the expression of my distinguished feelings. Bruno de Dagger. It's like, I almost agreed with the paragraph for like a moment. Because like, I do get what he's saying in that sense that like, it is it, it is really shitty sometimes to be a defense lawyer. Because sometimes you you know that the person you're working with has done like these terrible things and like you know, you do have to take certain positions to, because that's your client, you know what I mean? Like, you're trying to get them out, you're trying to get them the least amount possible, like, I get that part of it, like, that part's legit, but, like, also the fact that you said, again, like, sir, ma'am, miss, or whatever, like, you still couldn't just be like, hey, blank family. I mean, five seconds, five seconds of effort. (laughs) It sounds better when you say it in French, because technically it's like, Madame, Monsieur, Mademoiselle. No, it does. It does not sound better. (laughs) Especially because it's only six families. Even, I don't care how many, it could be 200 families, you look up every single family. I don't give a fuck. I don't care if you didn't change the entire body of the letter, but you literally could have backspaced and been like, this family. Print. Backspaced, this family. Print. Is this family. Print. Like, <laughs> not that fucking hard. Oh my god. Would have taken you five minutes. Right. And I know this because I'd never change my fucking cover letter. I just change who it's addressed to. Yeah, and maybe like one or two sentences. Right. Yeah, I agreed. So I know it doesn't take that much effort. There's the delete button for a reason, my guy, and that's what you should have used on this entire fucking letter. Mm-hmm. Just saying. So, yeah, that's uh, the story of Mark Dutro. I uh, don't Dutruck. have a... Dutruck. <laughs> Dutruck. 
I don't have a nice little buzz for it because you know his shit back of a shit back shit bag of a wife slash ex wife uh only served like not even half of her sentence and then uh, he's trying to get out early because you know he's a whole trash bag. So as soon as he gets out, we'll provide him with a car. <laughs> <laughs> if car he, crash, car crash. Uh, if he gets out, don't be surprised when. Uh, we take a mysterious trip to Belgium. I've always wanted to see Belgium. Yeah, I've heard it's honestly, lovely this same. time of year. I, I think all it's times always of lovely, year. lovely around uh, March of 2021. That's crazy. I mean, we have a friend that actually literally was just there, and he's told me like a bunch of things about how beautiful it is. Yeah. So uh, I've been wanting to go. I've heard it's really, it's going to be real gorgeous like March of 2021. And uh, while we're there, if Jutro coincidentally falls in front of a train, it's just a coincidence, really. Or if there just happens to be a, a giant protest. Weird of circumstances. Crazy. Wild. So, uh, let's, uh... Crazy how the universe just lines up like that. Stay Weird. spooky. <laughs> but not so spooky. Pick just one part, I dare you. That you're afraid of eight-year-olds. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and you let them starve to death. Stay spooky, but not so spooky that you straight up Epstein this bullshit and kill like 20 plus people because they're related. Because you just hate. Another thing. So y'all know the drill. Follow us on all of the things. Every. Everything. Thing. <laughs> uh, Facebook, Twitch, you now, YouTube, Patreon. Everything basically is bitches Instagram. and murders. Bam. Twitter. Exact. Well, not Twitter, but everything else is bitches and murders podcasts. Our Twitter, because well, they're little bitches, <laughs> is uh and murders. Yeah. And then our professional email, if you need that for any reason, is b and murders podcast at gmail dot com. You know the deal. Just type in our name. All the things come up. You love them all. We love them all. It's all great. Yeah. Send in. Send, send us your spooky stories, because, you know, maybe I want to hear them. Or just because I really like seeing spooky stories. Yeah, I generally, I really enjoy spooky stories. So just just I, tell me the spooky stories, because I, I want to hear them. I just really want to hear all your spooky stories. And Morgan's existence will need to be validated by an email. That's not from Patreon. Why do they send so many goddamn they emails? So I'm many. so annoyed by them, and they're never important. They're Ugh. never relevant. 